Hey guys, welcome back. This is episode three of The Viewer. This is Dr. Jen. And Dr. Erica. Jen, you sound kind of sick. I am. I have a cold. I got it especially for you. We got some feedback that our voices sound the same, so I, I got a cold. Perfect. Perfect. And <laughs> now I sound sultry. Perfect. That's <laughs> what we're going for, basically, in this podcast. Sultry. Great. So today we decided to tackle the topic of postpartum. And the reason for this, even though it seems like it may be a little bit different than our prior themes, is that this period of time, while obviously a really important time for a baby to, you know, become a small human being, the the actual experience of the woman often gets missed. In fact, as OBGYNs, we basically say like, great, see you in six weeks. Yeah. And, and so much happens in those six weeks that no one really talks about. And as people who talk to people after deliveries, but also have experienced the postpartum period, we think that this this topic is really important to just make sure we delve into a bit. Yeah. So why the six weeks? I've gotten that question a lot. Like, is that an arbitrary number? Where does that come from? It is a completely arbitrary number as far as I can tell. Right. And there are some, actually some practices now that see people at two weeks. Oh, really? Though that's not the standard. That's definitely the exception. Um, But I think that in many ways makes a lot more sense. Totally. I think historically it's giving the mom space to become a mother. But as we both know, you see your pediatrician like 10 times within those six weeks. Right. So like whatever space you're getting to become a mother is, I don't know, not balanced with that. I, okay, I think that's kind of BS. I mean, in those first couple of weeks, you, you don't need space. You need all the support you can get. Friends, family, your physician, everyone. You really need help. Yeah, and I think often because you're seeing the pediatrician, they get some of those questions that maybe would be better asked of your OBGYN. So pediatricians are wonderful. I, I literally love pediatricians in my life. And I... They are not excited necessarily to talk about breastfeeding. Not all pediatricians love to talk about like troubleshooting breastfeeding problems or like vaginal pain. That's not not... their area of expertise. Right, which totally fair. But our plan is sort of to bring it back to the focus on the women as we do. So we're going to talk about in this episode sort of the postpartum period from the bottom to the top. And the reason we decided to start at the bottom of the body is because... It makes vaginas first. Vaginas. Vaginas, vaginas, vaginas. Vaginas first, y'all. Yeah. So to give you a brief outline in case you want to skip ahead to a specific part that makes more sense for you, we're going to talk a little bit about recovery from vaginal delivery. We're going to talk about sex, sort of. Let's talk about sex, baby. Yeah. Let's talk about you and me. No. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Do it. Uh, We're going to talk about sort of the how, why, when of sex. We're also going to talk a little bit about birth control because that always has to be in part every conversation about sex. We'll talk about C-section recovery, a little bit about breastfeeding, though that's going to be a whole different big episode. And then briefly, we'll talk about mood. That will also probably be a whole other episode. Right, super important. Okay, so sex. Let's start at the vagina. Because okay. I get this question a lot. Yes. I think this is okay, really so important anatomy. because everyone is like, when will my vagina heal? And I just want to be clear about what we mean when we say vagina healing, right? Sure. And I think this is important to the sex question. The Briefly, the outside of the vagina called the vulva. That incorporates... In- the vulva. The vulva. It incorporates the labia majora, the labia minora, and it's sort of like what you see on the outside. The vagina is really the inside, if you think of it as like the mysterious cave that leads to the, the cervix. The mysterious cave that leads to everything. Everything. And at the back of the vagina is the cervix and sure. the uterus. And the cervix, if you think of like um, upside down wine bottle. 
Oh, I'm I've just, never heard it. I'm just going to go with this for right now, is the cervix is like the neck of the wine bottle. Nice. I like it. Yeah. And so that's what's at the back of the vagina is that cervix. Right. The opening to the uterus. Right. And that's what dilates to 10 centimeters in labor and has to recover It's a really big wine bottle. <laughs> it's a really big wine bottle. And it's not so much shaped by a wine bottle, but you get what I mean. So anyways, the part of the vagina that gets sort of injured during childbirth or or where they're sort of, when we say a normal tear, is really the vagina itself, the, the back part of the vagina, which has just pressure from the baby's head. And that part has one of the best healing capacities of the oh, yeah. whole body, which yeah. I think surprises many women. Well, I often tell people, too, that the skin of the vagina is very similar to the skin of the inside of the mouth. So you know when you get a cut on the inside of your mouth and it heals very, very fast, like in a day or two? Same thing. I mean, the vagina may take a little bit longer to heal, but it's very forgiving, as I like to say. Yes. It heals very fast. Though, I'm curious what you would say to this question, too, but I also get people asking me all the time, like, when will my va- vagina be normal again? No. Oh, God. So normal, what do you mean by normal? Every vagina is normal. Yes. Normal. And normal is like, you can pee appropriately, you can have sex appropriately, you, all of these things without pain, with pleasure, but... Will it ever be exactly the same as no. it was before you had a baby? I, no, but... I mean, your life won't be the same. Right. Exactly. You know? Like, that is impossible to tell. Right. Um, but it is. it should be that you can pee and have sex normally. God, I hope you could pee. Okay. Yeah. So getting on to the sex part, I do get this question a lot. Why do we say six to eight weeks for sex? Why do some people say different numbers? What does that number come from? And again, I think it's totally arbitrary. We... There's two things that we're thinking about when we're talking about when can I resume sex. One is, is it medically safe? Is it physiologically safe? Like, am I going to injure myself if I start having sex? And that is a concern. We don't want you to, you know, have sex and introduce bacteria into a a recent tear and then you get a nasty infection. We don't want you to pop any stitches that you may have. So those are real concerns. But that stuff really heals pretty fast in a couple of weeks. The other thing, the other major thing is when do you feel ready to have sex? And that's huge. This is huge, right? And I always tell people, like, you cannot go from having, like, painful nipples and breastfeeding and, like, changing poopy diapers right to, like, penetrative intercourse. Oh, my goodness. You just can't. Poopy diapers to penetrative intercourse. You just can't. (laughs) That's such a bad image. It's just, but, like, that's true. And things that I think help, help with that experience of feeling ready is, like, sleep, Someone oh. else cleaning your house. Mm. All these things, super sexy when you're postpartum. Oh, my God. And actually, just when you're a parent, cleaning your house, super sexy. Oh, God. Okay, so <laughs> so definitely, feeling ready mentally to resume sex is so different depending on the person, right? You, I mean, sometimes we see people at their postpartum visit, and they're already having sex, and great, good for you. If, they, if you feel that that's, you know, what you want to do, and it's consensual, fabulous. Other people, it takes months. You know, I even know someone who's taken over a year, and that's fine. She has open communication with her partner. She's really just not feeling it there. They're, you know, it's just so different for everyone, and there's so much that goes into it. Like you're saying, Erica, sleep, um, mood, and we'll get to this too when we get to mood, but postpartum blues, postpartum depression. Obviously, you're not going to want to have sex if you're just not feeling yourself and you're feeling depressed. Kind of the same way that anyone who's not postpartum also feels about sex, right? right? Like all the things that go into sexual desire are just complicated. So complex. There is a little bit of research in this, though not as much as we would like. And um, particularly from the University of Michigan, there's these two researchers, Sari Anders and Lauren Hip, who, if you want to be on the pod, get in touch with us. Mm -hmm. Because they did did several studies that looked at 
uh, women and their partners in the few months after in, after delivery, and they found that the birth experience, the presence of vaginal sutures, did not change the, how quickly people resumed sex. So, like, oh, I think people have this impression, like, if I have a tear, I have to wait longer, or if I had a horrible birth experience, I will probably wait longer, or if everything went well, I should be ready right now. Mm -hmm. And that's not what they found. They also talk a lot about the different types of sex and how people resume that really differently, mm -hmm. so that they're sort of performing oral sex, receiving oral sex, having penetrative sex, masturbation. These are all different... People feel ready for different aspects of this at different times. Sure. And it From their results, it sort of looks like everyone does a different thing and say, sort of what we've been saying, listen to your body and go with that. Absolutely. And then um, birth control. Let's talk about birth control. Yes. So... I always, this is a hard topic to broach with people because you've just had a baby. It's not the most convenient time to talk about birth control and your provider brings it up and you're like, are you, are you kidding me? That's like the last thing on my mind right now. But it shouldn't be. We, you know, we really should be thinking about this even when you're still pregnant. And that's because people, there's a misconception that you can't get pregnant when you're breastfeeding right away. And that's not true. Really, I mean, to have effective birth control with lactational amenorrhea or just breastfeeding You've got to be exclusively breastfeeding, which is really hard. Again, we'll talk about this in a different episode. For the first six months, um, that means day and night. Um, no and food. No food. No so formula. Ba baby can't be eating other any food or any other formula. And then, you know, no period. You can't be having a period, too. So if any of that stuff varies, you really can't rely on that. Um, and even then, it's not perfect. So, we, you, you know, it's possible to have what we call Irish twins or two babies within the same 12 months. <laughs> Um, and if that's not what you want, which, you know, when you've got all these other life changes going on, it's often what people don't want, um, then birth control is super important. And I think we'll have separate, you know, have a separate episode on this too, because there's so many different types. But one of the really cool things that I'll mention here is that in the last few years, this idea that you can pop an IUD in immediately after delivering your baby is really becoming popular. It's called a post-placental IUD. And while you still have your epidural in place. Yes, you don't feel yes. it. Yes. And I think also one thing that's nice about the IUD then is, A, you don't have to think about it potentially ever, but the other thing is that there's bleeding that happens after any delivery, a vaginal delivery or a C-section. Mm -hmm. People have vaginal bleeding for weeks to months even, and that's sometimes the symptoms at the beginning of an IUD, so you kind of just like merge those symptoms right. together. And, it's all the same. And just like when you're done bleeding, you're done bleeding. Great. Yeah. Um, and maybe actually we can jump to that a little bit in terms of symptoms about the vagina after birth that would be worrisome and you should call your doctor. Sure. Um, with a small caveat of like, none of this is personal medical advice. We just want to remind everyone that, that if right. you have any concerns, just talk to your doctor anyways. Right. We, we are not your doctor. We are doctors, but we're not your doctor. Exactly. Correct. So things that would make us concerned and would be not normal and we'd want to hear about from our patients is pain that's getting worse. So the mm -hmm. pain of a vaginal delivery of the vaginal tear usually gets better day by day and is much better within a week. Like people should be able to sit comfortably within about a week or right, so. Right, right. But if it's getting worse, absolutely a, a warning sign. Yep. Same thing with bleeding that's getting worse. Same Bleeding should really get better on a day, like a full day-to-day -day basis mm -hmm. um, over the course, even if it continues for a few months. So if bleeding is getting worse or all of a sudden is getting very heavy, that's Big concerning. Clots. Yeah. Yep. And just call your doctor, right? Mm -hmm. You don't have to go to the emergency room, but call your doctor and see what's going on. Same thing, fevers, always something that we want to know about, um, though there are some 
some causes of fever fever that you wouldn't you wouldn't need to see your doctor or wouldn't need to go to the emergency room, but a good trigger to call your doctor and just check in. Right, and so another warning sign that goes along with fevers is um, mastitis, and maybe that we can help sort of move up the body there too. Yeah. Um, let's talk about breasts. Yes. Breasts after delivery. Lots of different changes, and again, we're going to go into breastfeeding in a whole separate episode, but let's one of the common things that can happen, especially if you aren't sticking to a regular schedule where you're able to empty your breasts effectively and thoroughly every couple of hours, and we're talking like every two hours in the beginning, right, Erica? Yeah. Is mastitis, and that's a really common infection in the breast tissue that can happen after delivery. It's just, you know, it can be just a simple infection where you have a fever and it can go all the way to an abscess where you can actually get a collection of pus in your breasts. Yeah. And this is not uncommon and not super common, but it's not uncommon either and it's very treatable. So it's something that if you talk to your doctor about early, we can help with. And better is even to prevent mastitis. So let's back up a little bit to sort of breastfeeding timeline. So most women that plan to breastfeed start trying to breastfeed or start orienting the baby to breastfeeding like within a few hours of birth. Oh yeah, immediately. And we really recommend that the baby is near the mom and orienting to the breast really right away. I mean, this is the whole point of the whole skin to skin movement. Right. You know, it's there's so many benefits of skin to skin, but the baby is smelling the mother, getting used to her her scent, her warmth, um, her her person, and it really helps with bonding and also initiating um, lactation. Yep. And so the, the milk coming in process, or those are sort of the words that we use, involves stimulation of the nipple, usually by the baby, though some people mm-hmm. use a hand pump or something to start that process as well. And at the beginning, it's just this um, pre-milk called colostrum, which is like protein-packed, fat-packed, really good for the baby, I, but you can't you know, really I like see to it. call it an energy bar for your baby. It's like a, I love that. It's like a protein bar. It's like a cliff bar for your baby. Your baby, your body's on cliff bar. Right? Because like it's so energy yeah, rich. It's that's true. wonderful. But it's hard to see. So some women think right. that their milk's not coming in all the way because all they have is this cholesterol, but that's perfect. And real milk, sort of the milk that we think of, really comes in around day three to day mm-hmm. five. Different for different women. Different if you've had babies before. It comes in a little bit sooner. If it's your first baby, it may be a little bit longer. But then when it comes in, like, your boobs explode. <laughs> yes. That's the sound of milk coming in. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes people get low-grade fevers. Often breasts get, like, firm and painful. Mm-hmm. And this is something that I don't think we give a lot of anticipation guidance about that we don't tell women this is like a huge crazy change that's going to happen in their bodies that is normal engorgement engorgement that's what that's our medical term for it and things that help with that are breastfeeding right breastfeeding pumping all those sorts of things I'll also throw a little tip out there um, for engorgement cabbage leaves yes this is a this is a big um mid, the midwives talk about this a yes lot, sort of um in, cold cabbage leaves yeah can kind of reduce engorgement yeah you just i mean they're the right size you get them from the store you can get them in the middle of the night send your partner out Perfect. put them in the freezer and then just cup the breast with them it feels really nice yeah and generally heat helps bring milk in cold helps sort of calm the breast down so mm-hmm. what we typically recommend to people is heat before you're breastfeeding or when you're trying to get your milk ready and cold afterwards that helps with sore nipples it helps with sore breasts so all of these things while it may seem like funny little details for those of you that are not breastfeeding and not interested in breastfeeding these are like huge for women in this time right. period so and let's, let's just put a plug in here too if you choose not to breastfeed, again, we'll get into more of this in a future episode, that's totally fine too. I think there's this huge movement now for us to recognize the benefits of breastfeeding, which there are plenty, 
But that is not meant to minimize a woman's efforts. It's not meant to say that you are less than or not a good mother if you don't breastfeed. This is a very personal and individualized choice. And yes, absolutely try to do it. It is the best thing for your baby. But if you can't do it for whatever reason or you choose not to, that's totally fine too, you know? Yep. And breastfeeding is really hard. Oh, so and hard. And we're definitely going to delve into that later. But let's sort of move around the abdomen just a little bit more. Talk a little bit about recovery from a C-section and how that's different because we often recommend different mm-hmm. things to women in terms of lifting and and things like that. So do yeah. you want to talk about that? Because you, you're it. the only person that's had a C-section I've had the two of us. I've had a C-section and I've also had a vaginal delivery after that. We'll talk about V-backs later too. Um, C-sections. So it's different. It's very different, right? A a lot of the talk we've been having so far is how does your vagina recover, but how does your belly recover? It's major abdominal surgery, which is what I'll say. A lot of people don't recognize, you know, that this is a major surgery. We're cutting into your abdomen, going through all the layers, your skin, your fat, your muscles, your fascia, and then all the way to your uterus. And um, I think the biggest thing is that we allow more time to recover afterwards. You're going to need several weeks before you're feeling really like yourself again. Granted, you'll be walking the next day, albeit slowly, um, but it's going to be a couple of days, maybe even weeks before you can climb stairs comfortably. Probably going to be on narcotics for a little bit longer. Maybe not, but you know, again, because this is a bigger surgery. Um, Yeah. So let's see, what should we move on to next? Yeah. And I I think with that, just the last thing I'll say is like all of this, listen to your body. If it feels weird or feels wrong, pause, adjust and, and see what feels best. The, so moving, moving up, um, all the way up to the brain, we're going to talk a little bit about postpartum mood and briefly about postpartum depression, although this definitely warrants its whole other episode. Yeah, absolutely. So so important, and I think something that gets stigmatized really often is what's normal and what's not normal mood-wise after a delivery. And I'll just say right now, it's an it, it's an incredibly new, challenging, different time in your life. A lot of moving parts. Um, you're going to find changes in your marriage, if you're married, in your partnership, um, and a lot of different stressors, both on the mom and everyone who is involved in this um, new life, you know, coming into the world. And along with that comes a severe lack of sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the stresses from breastfeeding or, you know, struggles that you may be having with that. Pain, potentially, from your recovery, be it, you know, your C-section or your vaginal delivery. And then, you know, other things that are falling behind, you know, maybe it's work issues. You're not able to, you know, nurture those friendships like you normally would because you've got this new life. Yeah, it's a whole life adjustment. It's really hard. And so it is very, very common for women to start to feel down. But there's a difference between um, feeling down, postpartum blues, which are, you know, very common, and taking it one step further, which is full-blown postpartum depression. Do you have some statistics on that? I do, I do. The postpartum blues, so just to distinguish that a little bit, it, it usually is a few days after childbirth, and some women feel sad or anxious or upset. They may cry for no reason. They may feel angry with their new baby or frustrated with their yeah. new baby, um, but that it kind of goes away after a few days and certainly does not last more than two weeks. So that's sort of the distinction between postpartum blues and postpartum depression is this like two week mark Mm -hmm. of not resolving on its own. And I would even go a little bit further and say if it's something that doesn't seem like it's getting better, even after a few days, that if it's sort of sustained or getting worse or getting worse, certainly talk to your doctor. This is something, go see your doctor. This is so under treated and under supported. You don't need to wait two weeks if it's getting worse. That's right. So many women have postpartum blues and we don't even really have great 
data on that because it's pretty common to have this, especially as all your hormones are basically like tanking after pregnancy. Right. And a lot of people don't report it, right? It's just something you sort of keep under the rug. Yeah. It'll get better. Don't talk about it. I'm not supposed to feel this way. I'm supposed to feel excited. Shouldn't I just be so happy that I have this new baby instead of like my boobs hurt, my vagina hurts, my stomach hurts. I haven't been sleeping. Like these are, these are the things we don't talk about. So postpartum depression is different in that it's something that is getting worse over the course of a week or two and lasts for at least two weeks where there's decreased interest, decreased mood, um, and those are sort of the big, big symptoms of it. It happens in about 10 to 15% of women, or that's at least... Which is pretty common. Which is really common. It's not infrequent. And it's probably more than that that go unreported and untreated. Women are, we are so good at like struggling through, pushing through, but we know mental health in this country in general is just not... Well acknowledged and well treated. So, with postpartum depression, um, the it can be really serious and can really interfere with uh, recovering as well as your relationship with your baby, your relationship with your partner, and it's so important to seek treatment early. So, the people who are at greater risk for postpartum depression, although it can happen to anyone, is people who have a history of depression. Yeah, absolutely. If you have a family history, a personal history, certainly big social life stressors, these are all risk factors. Yep. And also people who tend to be a little bit more sensitive to big hormonal changes. So, if you're someone who has had big PMS symptoms every month or other other sort of hormonal-related mood symptoms, it's a little bit more likely. Mm-hmm. Um, postpartum depression is often treated with just support and life adjustments. It's treated often with counseling, but it's often treated also with medications. Yes, absolutely. And I just, I think we're both on the same page here in that we want to destigmatize that. So your health is the most important thing. My mom always talks about this, like put on your own oxygen mask first. If you're oh, not breathing, so true. if you're not breathing, you can't help anyone else. That's right. right. So, absolutely. So make sure that you're taking care of yourself because that's the only way you're going to be able to take care of your baby. Absolutely true. All right, great. I think we've run through the bottom to the top of postpartum, but certainly there's a lot more that we haven't covered. It's really hard to do this all in one episode. So if you've got questions, please send them our way. We're going to start doing a little bit of Q&A, listener mail at the end of some episodes. Would love to hear your questions. So next week, stay tuned because we've got an REI, Reproductive Endocrinology and Infertility Specialist, coming in. We're going to be talking about fertility preservation. What comes before getting pregnant? That's right. If you've loved this episode of The V Word, please head on over to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. You can also follow us on Twitter at VWordPod, on Instagram at VWordPod, and send us an email, thevwordpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.